We have a really exciting guest joining us today, Luke Bivens. Luke is an account executive at Gatsby. And not only did I enjoy hearing Luke's background, how he got into software sales, but what I really enjoyed talking to him about is being a first in account executive or a first uh, sales hire. Uh, so in other words, Luke has had a lot of success now at a few different companies that were early stage software startups. And if you've ever been approached by a founder or a recruiter looking to, to bring in the first revenue hire at a startup, this is the episode for you. Luke has some really great strategies as well as a really good evaluation framework for how to look at opportunities in early stage startups and how to be sure uh, you can set yourself apart and be a little bit more successful. So that's all I'm going to say. Welcome, Luke, to the show. All right, Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I've uh, listened to the last couple of episodes and, and really love what you're doing. Well, we appreciate that. It's uh, super exciting to see the show take off and I'm glad that it's adding some value. I, You know, it's funny because I never, like I know I've been in the industry for a while now, but I never necessarily thought I knew any more than the next guy. Um, mm -hmm. I probably don't, but just putting it out there, putting some content out there, especially for, for folks that are just starting out in their careers, it, it seems to be adding some value. So it also helps to have guests like yourself, uh, be interested in coming on and sharing their stories. So I'd love to start there. Tell us, uh, how you broke into the software industry, uh, where you come from, and then, you know, maybe a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, to take it all the way back, I, I, went to school, grew up in Michigan. Um, and then right after school, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but, um, I knew that I wanted to be in sales. Um, and so, and I knew I wanted to get to warm weather. So I took an opportunity in Scottsdale actually. Um, and that yeah. was for a facility services company, um, kind of a sales development training program. Um, so if you think about that, that's ground floor, 200 calls a day, even doing some yeah. door to door stuff, uh, wow. it was a grind. Yeah. A grind. So setting up meetings for, for account executives to, to close deals there, um, did not love doing that. Knew I did not want to be in facility services long-term, but, uh, it was obviously a great opportunity just to kind of like get the hustle, um, of sales. And, um, while I was there, I somehow over LinkedIn, came across a company that had just raised their series a, um, and their founders had put something on LinkedIn saying, Hey, we're hiring our first sales reps. Um, and that company was called work pop and, uh, I direct messaged them and in the matter, I mean, really connected with the two founders, the sales director there, um, in the matter of two weeks, I was moving out to Los Angeles and, wow. uh, moving to my best friend's apartment and living on their couch. Um, wow. So, so yeah, so that was just kind of like a work pop startup tech sales. That was my entry point. Um, and so what work pop really did was it was an HR recruiting platform for like the, the blue collar hourly wage space. Um, and so came into there, my title was account executive, but really what I was doing from the very start was I was cold calling um, and setting up meetings for our sales, sales director and mm -hmm. our CEOs to we had, we had co-CEOs um, to close deals, which was, a, I mean, it was a great opportunity to, you know, again, just kind of get thrown in at the ground floor and, and understand, yeah. um, you know, SaaS and everything like that from the start. Um, 
and it was a great opportunity too because they had just raised money and um, as the company kind of grew and we grew the product offering, um, I grew with it. I moved into an account executive role, kind of handling. At that time, we were really just selling to small, medium-sized businesses, and then um, and then we grew our sales team, brought on a VP of sales, and then I moved into an enterprise account executive role, um, which great opportunity again. We you know, kind of growing and going through the growing pains of the product itself, understanding pricing, working with marketing, um, trying to find some sort of product fit. So um, great, obviously a great opportunity. Um, the tough part about that was, you know, being the first sales rep and, you know, working directly with the founders. We, I think we went through three different VP of sales in my time there. Um, so as you like, I kind of refer, like I kind of consider it like, uh, number one, like uh, I wouldn't consider myself a number one draft pick, but like a, a quarterback that goes to an NFL team and they are just, you know, they're running through coaches. There's really, you don't really get the continuity or you get, don't really develop a process um, or like the culture, I guess, as a team. So um, that was kind of tough. But at the very end of my time there, I'd been doing long distance with my now fiance who was here in Charlotte. Um, end of my time there, the board brought on a consultant, a sales consultant for us. Um, and his name is Jim Eddig. And he came on for, you know, right away. He had been VP of sales at uh, Logly. He had ran sales at New Relic. Um, so he was just a super successful, like amazing sales leader. Um, and he kind of came in to shake things up and, um, it just so happened that he's actually from Michigan as well and went to the same That's cool. 2000 person college that I went to. So, uh, yeah, we, we hit it off right away and I was on, I mean, and I learned so much from him too. I, I was only with him for about two months. And then that's when I decided to move to Charlotte, um, take an opportunity here with a company called Ecos. And mm -hmm. there I was the third sales rep. Um, and that's a ecos is a beer inventory management software. Huh. Um, so it wasn't as, as tech oriented of the, of the sales role, but it was still a really cool opportunity. Um, and while I was here, I was also, uh, kind of on the side and weekends, I got connected with a sales con consulting company called Dana consulting out in New York. Um, and what we did there was we actually worked with founders of tech startups who were, you know, they had gotten to the point where they wanted to make their first sales hire. And so what we would do is help out with the hiring process and kind of create and develop a sales development, you know, training program and help them implement that. Um, and so I loved doing that. Was, we got to work with some really, really cool companies. And then uh, not too long after doing that, Jim came knocking back on my door. Um, nice. You know, we had stayed connected and he, uh, he was still doing his consulting, but he was consulting with a company called Gatsby. Um, mm -hmm. and they brought him on as the VP of sales and he was getting ready to hire his first sales rep. And so reached out to me, it's a remote, you know, company. Um, and so he brought me on about a year and a half ago, um, as the first sales rep and I've been here ever since. And now I'm the, yeah, still the sales same, still the same or the only sales rep, um, but do a lot right. with, you know, we're, we're moving into like an enterprise offering and working with partnerships. So, um, so yeah, it's been, I absolutely love what I'm doing now. 
That's awesome. So there's, we have, we have so much in common, even down to the fact that well, one, so first thing, you know, you kind of got yourself out there, you moved to a brand new city. Did you know anybody in Scottsdale when you made that first leap? I did not No, I just knew, yeah. uh, I mean, we had taken, I had taken a vacation there once with my family and, um, I knew it was warm. So warmer. Yeah. Hot almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so exactly. I have like the same, that was really my same experience. I, and I've shared this a few times on different episodes and, and for most people that know who I am, know that when I finished school, uh, I, you know, probably, I just needed a change and I wanted to get mm-hmm. to a different city. I wanted to get to a little bit more of a software centric city at the time for me. Uh, there was a few cities I had in mind, but Austin was the one that I honed in on. And so I moved to Austin completely sight unseen, had never been to Texas before, had never been to Austin before, uh, rented a place that I had never seen before, packed up all my belongings in a U-Haul with, I won't tell you how much money I had in my pocket because it would make everybody scared. Uh, not enough to survive in Austin. And I did it. And I'm really glad that I did it because I think being bold and taking calculated risks like that, which is, you know, moving to a new city where you can, where you really have to start your network from the ground up. And for me, that was the challenge was I've got to get in here and I've got to build a network in the industry. This is my, you know, I had a vision for what I wanted to accomplish in Austin and I just did it. I, it all happened in about a four to six week period. Like I got a job offer and all of a sudden I had all my belongings in a U-Haul and I was driving across West Texas to, to get to Austin. So I love that you did the same thing, uh, but coming here to my hometown of, of Scottsdale, Arizona. And then I love that you did uh, door knocking because in my first software role <laughs> in Austin, my manager, he called it door busting or uh, yeah, he was yeah. like, oh, you seem like a door buster. You need to come out with me. And so we would actually go out and walk around strip malls in, in North central Austin and walk into these little retail businesses and try to sell our e-commerce software. And looking back, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, like it's knowing now that that's probably not the best way to, to sell and really build a velocity mm-hmm. type software business. I'm really <laughs> glad for the experience because the manager that I had at that time, that's what he had done for most of his career. He had done a lot of in-person mm-hmm. selling, uh, especially at the small business level. And if you can do that, if you can go knock on a door or go walk into a business and try to sell something, whether it's technology or media services or whatever it is, uh, when it comes time to pick up the phone and make a bunch of uh, phone calls, that's going to seem easy in comparison and exactly. everything else after that just gets easier and easier. So my encouragement, and so I love that you did that. And I think it's, it's mm-hmm. an, a good lesson for everybody who's new in the industry or who's still trying to make their mark or, or really up their game is if you can, if it makes any sense, and maybe it doesn't make sense right now in 2020, but try to get some of that type of exposure at some point, because again, you'll build that muscle of, of working with people, working with people mm-hmm. in person, and it'll make every other prospecting activity seem like a piece of cake. Now, again, it may not be the best year to do door knocking and there's a lot of businesses <laughs> yeah, where yeah. they probably don't really want a stranger walking in off the street. So unfortunately you might've missed your opportunity if you're out there listening, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, definitely something to think about. And then uh, I want to dig in too. So something really interesting that you shared that I think would be very valuable for the listeners is you've now been either the first in account executive hire on a couple of occasions. And you're also, it sounds like you were the third uh, account executive hire uh, on one occasion. And then you were also in a consulting role 
where you were working with other startups on how to make their early hires, how to build an early stage process for building pipeline and, you know, essentially helping to, to provide guidance around that. So it sounds to me, and it looks to me like you've got a lot of experience in what these startups are looking for when it comes to, to making their first rounds of hires for their, their revenue uh, departments. So I'd love to just get, yeah, I think it would be really useful for, for the audience to hear a little bit about what kind of skill sets were they looking for? And this, we can go pretty broad on this. It could be anything from yeah. you. Tell us a little bit about what some of the qualities and, and attributes these, these uh, you know, startups are looking for in their first uh, you know, revenue hires. And then also share with us, what are some of the ups and downs of being in that role? You've been successful in it. I've also been uh, the first in AE on two occasions in my career. Uh, I may or may not have shared that in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, you know, it, first of all, it was a fantastic learning experience, but I learned a lot about myself. And one of the things I learned is I like being on a little bit bigger team uh, because I get encouragement from my peers who are selling alongside me. But you seem like you've managed to make it work and you found a lot of success being that first AE hire. Tell us about that. And then, uh, you know, any insights you can provide on what these startups are looking for in that in that role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so... For me, I like I never it's not like I really went out seeking to be the first, you know, sales rep at these companies. It's just kind of, you know, the first opportunity with WorkPop. It's same, you know, yeah, it it just kind of it kind of happens. And then um, like with my current role with Gatsby, I I came here, you know, not even knowing much about the product, but I knew that I wanted to work with Jim at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when when these companies are looking to hire their, their first sales rep, um, the one thing that I think a lot of them are looking for is, is someone that is, um, you know, definitely resilient and able to kind of take the punches. Um, like I know in a lot of sales roles, you know, it's, it's, it's okay if, you know, you get really excited or, or high on, uh, like a sales win. And if you, you take a loss, you know, it, it's tough to take a loss, um, but right. you can do that at larger companies. Whereas when you're the first sales hire, you're figuring out the, the pricing model, you're figuring out the ideal customer profile. Um, and so, you know, when I was first at WorkPob, um, we did hire on, you know, other reps as well. And we kind of churned through them because um, people would come in and they would take a win and, and you should take a win, like, especially at a small company, because it really affects right. the business. Um, but the, the, the losses, you know, people really took them to heart. And what you really have to understand is take those losses as, as a learning experience. Um, I know, like, for me, I've been in so many situations where, especially, uh, you know, where we're trying to figure out pricing and we're competing against a competitor that has been in the business for 20 years or they're, you know, owned by SAP, they have this whole process down in place. People know what they're getting with them. Um, but I've gone into deals where we've come in over or under on price by, you know, a hundred thousand um, oh, wow. dollars. And so, so things like that, you can't, you know, it's, it is a really re- rewarding um, role to be in because like I said, if you, if you get a win and you get an enterprise type deal, and you share that with the company, it's a, you know, it's a win for everyone. Everyone gets ex- super excited. Whereas if you're at a very large company and you bring in a hundred thousand dollar or $200,000 deal, it doesn't really move the needle much. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing that they're looking for is someone that's willing to grind and someone that's kind of willing to take the punches as well. I, I totally agree. And, and even back to what you shared a minute ago, which is these opportunities, you, you don't necessarily pursue those. They kind of come to you sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're in the right mindset. And the first startup that I joined as the first AE hire, uh, I met the CEO on a bike ride in Austin and we struck up a conversation. And next thing you know, I was working for him. So that that's kind of how it happened. It wasn't anything magical or special or out of the ordinary. It was just, uh, you know, I guess on the trail networking. And then uh, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's actually one of the things that drives me is I, I've always been a little bit more entrepreneurial minded than, uh, you know, than some of the fellow sellers that I've, that I've sold alongside of. And I'm just innately curious about business and I've always been very passionate about, uh, you know, company growth and things like that. And so I 100% agree with your statements about when you get into the early roles with these companies, you got to be prepared to not have most of the problems solved. In fact, you're there to help solve those problems, whether that's, Hey, what do we charge? Who do we even go after? Uh, what happens if we can't, you know, just all of these Mm -hmm. different challenges that can come up. So if you're not the kind of person that gets, uh, you know, a a little bit, uh, excited about the idea of having to figure out things like what the product should cost or, uh, you know, how to, how to frame it to a customer and which types of customers even start going after. If that's not in your, you know, if that's not something you you're interested in doing, then I would, I would probably steer away from an early stage startup and focus on one of the larger plays. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I think, uh, there's, I know so many people that have had just great careers as a field rep at a big software company, and you can make a great living that way. And it's a great work-life balance and it's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I personally, just like you, really get excited about the idea of making an impact uh, in, in the business that I'm in and having, uh, you know, being able to, to showcase the fact that I was critical uh, or, you know, a key piece of the business's success. So I really get, you know, I, I get some drive off of that. And that's why I've predominantly been in earlier stage startups. I've done a few larger firms myself, but I just really like the startups for that reason. Cause I like feeling like I'm a, uh, you know, a key piece to the puzzle, if you will versus, uh, you know, hey, I'm just here to close a couple of deals and then clock out at five. For me, and I'm sure you'd agree with this statement, for me, startup sales, it's it's a lifestyle. It's not really a job or a career. It's really a lifestyle. It's something you have to be willing to almost be online 24-7. I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating if I say that I'm online at 2 (laughs) a.m., but I'm prepared to, if I ever needed to be in it. And it's, you know, the, the work never necessarily leaves my mind uh, for the most part. It's its lifestyle, but it's, it's also something that I look at as a passion and a hobby. So, Definitely. yeah. How do, so tell us maybe some other kind of specifics on how someone could be successful in an early startup. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the one, yeah, the one thing is like, is, is the first sales rep, you are on the front lines. And um, the best thing that I think you can do and what's helped me in my role is make sure that the rest of the organization, product, marketing, engineering, CEO, founders, um, whomever are getting to hear what you're hearing uh, from the customers, because that's where you're going to make the most impact is telling, developing that customer story and really understanding okay, you know, what are we offering right now? Is that a fit for what our customers are looking or what they need? Um, and are we help them, helping them solving problems? And is there some sort of trend that's going to help scale to 100 customers or 1,000 mm-hmm. customers? Um, so, that, yeah, the yeah. thing that I would say is 
is, you know, be, I know like a lot of sales reps, it, they, in a lot of companies, they kind of silo, like sales mm -hmm. handles sales, marketing yep. handles marketing. But when you're that first sales rep, you are not just sales, you're, you're everything. Um, you're part of every team pr pretty much. Um, so I would just encourage anyone that gets in that, that role, you know, bring in product with you with as many mm -hmm. calls as you can, because the more that they hear the, that information, the, the better that is going to translate to the rest of the company and developing um, a service or a product that really fits the needs of the customers. It's so true. And that's why I think I, earlier I used the word revenue. If you're, you're the first revenue hire, because it's, it goes yeah. so much further beyond just you're the first sales hire. I mean, you're the first, you're one of the first people to start thinking about the customer stories. You're one of the first people to start thinking about, uh, you know, who the ideal buyer is, how to reach that ideal buyer, uh, what the process is once they have, uh, you know, handed off payment to you, then how do you onboard yeah. them and make them successful yeah. in the product? How do you, uh, you know, use them to get the next two or three clients on board? So it really does go well beyond just managing a sales process. It's really managing the full pipeline and beyond and uh, yeah, if you're, again, if you're not passionate about just the business stuff in general, just being a business person and a revenue person, uh, then it can be really, really hard to succeed in those environments. Yeah. And, and the great, I mean, one of the most rewarding things is you get to develop the story for the company. Um, you get to like hear directly from the customers. And I know like I've been in a ton of situations where I, I thought that we were helping solve a certain problem. And then mm -hmm. I speak with the actual customers and they, you know, they name off, Hey, this is why you've helped us. This is, you know, what we love about the product. And it's something that I never even thought about until I heard it from the customer. So then you take that story, you, you know, you relay it to the rest of the team, but then you also take it into your other conversations with new customers. Um, and then, and then you tweak it and then you adjust it and move forward from there and just hopefully um, you know, things start to catch on and you really, you really develop that, you know, that ideal customer. I have a question for you. So early on in your, you know, as a first in revenue hire, was it difficult to get on the phone with like one of the founders, one of the product execs? Was it intimidating to be on the phone with someone who's built a software product and you're, you're you know, you're working with their baby that they've put mm -hmm. hours and in, in, in a lot of cases, their own capital towards to then be the one that's responsible uh, for getting that to market and getting that interest and that story out there. If you were intimidated by that, how did you overcome that? And how did you get past that? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, it's funny if, if our founders from uh, WorkPop listen to this, they'll know exactly what they're talking about. So, I, I mean, I was early in my career when I first got there. Um, and so essentially what I was doing from the very start was I was setting up meetings and listening to them on those calls. And they were, you know, one was a very business, you know, development oriented. One was, uh, you know, very product oriented and they, but mm -hmm. they, they spoke to the product better than anyone else. Cause they, you know, they made it. Um, and so once they started, you know, kind of trans, you know, putting me in positions to actually sell, um, you know, at start, it, it, at the very beginning of it, it was really difficult because I wanted to try to pitch the product and speak to the customer the way that they would, mm -hmm. rather than the way that, you know, caters to me and the way that I am, am able to relate with customers and things like that. So right. for me, it took a long time um, trying to, well, one, just get confidence in myself and understand the product. Um, but it really, it just took reps and that's what, you know, I come from a, a sports background and, 
Jim, my VP of sales now, he also comes from a sport ba sports background. So we always just talk about, you know, develop those reps and the more reps that you do, you're going to go into game time or a demo with more confidence. Um, and so for, you know, while I was at work pop, that was, yeah, that, you know, it just took time um, of yeah. really just grinding and, you know, doing role, like asking the founders, Hey, can we do a role play? I'll sit in another room, but really just kind of getting over that hump of, you know, you know, just getting that confidence, I guess. Um, yeah. But what was great when I came here to Gatsby um, was our two founders. Um, so Gatsby is a, a open source framework that lets companies build really fast websites and use the most modern tools. But it's a framework that our founder, Kyle Matthews, created himself. He had a problem and he just created this and then it caught on and hundreds of thousands of people are using it. Um, wow. But our two founders, him and uh, Sam, they are so great about when they brought on me as a sales rep, they let Jim handle sales. When they brought on marketing, they let marketing handle marketing. They did you know, they'll hop on calls to, um, you know, to listen in and hear from the customer, but they're not on there to sell. They, right. they let us do that. Um, so that's been really helpful in, in my current role. But yeah, yeah, I think as far as getting over uh, and just you know, like having a founder on the call, you have to get over that mindset of like, this is their baby. This is what they developed. Um, but you just have to, I guess, get those reps and trust in yourself. I, I feel the same way. I think it, it just comes down to, to one, you have to, you do have to put yourself out there. That's the hardest part is you've yeah. got to expose yourself as, uh, you know, somewhat of an imposter, but that's the reality of being in a startup is, is it is all sort of an experiment in the early days is, will this, will there be a product market fit for this? Yeah. Will it resonate with the, the buying audience? And can we, can we get enough energy around this to actually create a, you know, velocity or a flywheel type business. And so, yeah, first step to me, it sounds like, you know, putting yourself out there. And then I like what you're saying about repetitions. Uh, once you have put yourself out there, fallen on your face a couple of times. And again, this is mm -hmm. not for everybody. It takes a specific personality to be willing to really put yourself out there for failure. Cause you're going to mess up the first couple of calls. You're going to say something wrong, especially if it's a really technical product and you're sitting in there with a, you know, a member of the technical founders, uh, you know, leadership team or something like that. It's not going to come off pretty and polished uh, like you want it to. But like you're saying, if you put the repetitions in, uh, you know, you make time for role plays and, and rehearsals and practices. I think one of the big things for me, as far as a success tactic in those environments is always doing a pre-call uh, and mm -hmm. sort of expressing to the founders or, or whoever's joining you on any sort of customer facing or prospect facing call, what your intention is and what the goal is for the call and, and what the next step would look like or what ideal next steps would look like. Because a lot of times that, you know, at least in the two early startups that I was in, uh, the founders were technical guys and they, they didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of experience selling. I think they were really good at selling the, the, you know, kind of the evangelist side of the product and what the, the vision, yeah. the vision. Yeah. They were great at selling the vision, but some of those sort of, uh, playbook tactical items that come down, you know, the negotiation side of things or really specific sales process, tactical stuff. They, they didn't. And to be fair, they didn't have time to necessarily learn that stuff. They were busy mm -hmm. coding and running a business and everything else. And so that's where, if you are the first, uh, first in, that's where you've got to pick up the slack and really be the the professional and the, the one that's organized uh, around that and has a really, you know, you have, you've got to have a really clear and specific idea and, and action for how you're going to get it done. So yeah. 
And that's, yeah, that's one thing too, is it, like if, you know, you're coming on as the first sales rep in the company, that's something you should, I would encourage people to ask during the interview process and really try to get to know the founders of like, you know, why are you bringing me on? What will, you know, will they give you that autonomy, um, you know, to really handle the sales process and, and kind of learn on your own? Um, I think that's, you know, really important for anyone that's looking or going into a, you know, first sales rep at a company or, you know, they're looking into it. You touched on something really interesting. What if, so let's, let's do a hypothetical here. Uh, let's say I'm a, I'm a career sales professional. Maybe I've got two, three, four years of experience selling at another software company, maybe a big one and a recruiter or a founder or a VC or somebody approaches me on LinkedIn and says, you know, Hey Jesse, we want you to come join our startup. It's brand new. We just raised a, a series A, uh, or, a, or a seed round and we're looking for our first revenue hire. Uh, what are some things that you've done to, to vet out and evaluate the right opportunities for you? Cause I think this is actually something just, you know, throwing myself out there that I probably could have done better at, not just for the startups that I joined, but just for, for a lot of the companies I've been at was being better, uh, about vetting the, the opportunities that were in front of me and making sure I asked the right questions. Tell us about your process there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I definitely got to learn a lot from my first experience with WorkPop, um, and I think like now, if, you know, I love where I'm at now, I love my role. Um, but for anyone that's kind of looking in that, the checklist that I would kind of put together is, you know, the first thing that I would do is if you're the first sales hire, um, you're most likely going to be working pretty closely with the founders. Um, so I already kind of touched on it, but I would get to know the founders um, and get to know like why they created the company and kind of hear their thoughts on what they're looking for out of you in that role. Um, will they give you that, you know, that freedom to really learn on your own, learn the product, um, things like that. The other thing is, um, I think is really important is if you're going or if a recruiter is reaching out to you, I would look at the product. I would look at the service. Um, like for me, when, you know, Gatsby came around, I never envisioned myself going in and working in front end frameworks to help, you know, build websites. I, I knew nothing about that, mm -hmm. um, but I knew that just after doing my research on the company and looking at the customers and how the community spoke about the product, I knew that it was a disruptive technology, um, which means I can learn the product, but I know that we're like, once I get in there, I'll be excited about, about learning about it, but also um, hearing from customers that were actually, you know, helping make their day-to-day -day easier and helping them um, get better at their job. So like, I know, like, especially early stage startups, you're not all products are, are there yet. So you might get thrown into a sales role where you're selling a product that you don't really feel confident in, or um, you don't feel like it's solving a, a problem for the customer. So um, I would get to know the product and service. I would obviously do the research and, um, you know, see what kind of funding they have, you know, mm -hmm. what their you know, by speaking to the founders, understand what the vision of the company is. And obviously with the startup that changes all the time, uh, I think we pivoted, you know, we pivoted here at Gatsby, we pivoted at WorkPop. Um, mm -hmm. So things I would, you know, get to know that research. And then a big one is uh, just understand, like ask them, why, why are you hiring a sales rep now? Like, what's the, Ooh. what's the reason that you're bringing someone on? Is the product in a mm -hmm. stable place to where we can sell it? Um, or is this something that, you know, 
I'll be coming on and I don't really have anything like what, why are you bringing someone on now? And then the, the thing that was really important to me, and I, I would, I mean, I, I believe that anyone that's really looking at, uh, to be the first sales rep in a company, they're probably, you know, they want to learn and they want to grow. Um, and so for me, luckily I was fortunate to have someone like Jim who was here to where I knew that every conversation I was going to have with him, he was going to challenge me. I was going to learn something from him. Um, mm. But if you're a first sales rep in the company, sometimes you're just, you're the only person that is in the sales department. Yep. Um, so obviously <laughs> yeah. you, you, you learn from like being the first person understanding, you, you have those growing pains, but I would really ask like, okay, as a company, if there isn't someone above me that's in sales, how am I going to expand my skills in sales? So like, will they fund for me to go to conferences? Will they, mm -hmm. you know, allow me to, to have those types of resources um, and things like that? So I think those are really big. And then obviously, you know, anyone looking at when they get a recruiter reaching out to them on LinkedIn, I think it's tough with sales because I mean, you, I'm sure you get them all the time, recruiters. Mm -hmm. You have an OTE of you know 180 to 200k, um, and it's you're the first sales rep for a company, you know, a small um, seed funded company. Um, I would really under like it, this happened to us at WorkPop is you kind of create quotas and then the product changes and then you don't really have yep. a quota and you don't really have like a real understanding of your OTE. I would ask those questions from the start and say, okay, how many leads are coming in? How, yeah. you know, what's your close rate today? Like, how can I get to my OT and make sure that you have someone in the company that's actually invested in your success? Mm -hmm. um, because that, I mean, that's why I'm so fortunate now is I have people here that are really, they want me to be successful. And obviously, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to be successful as well. But um, yeah. yeah, I think those are kind of the big things I would touch on. Dude, your, your questions that, that is huge. And, and I'm looking back at my experiences in earlier stage companies. I wish I would ask some the questions you're, you, you asked. I love that. My favorite one is why a sales rep right now, or why a revenue rep right now? I did not ask that question, but yeah. it, it's super important. I just made the assumption that if they were putting a wreck out for a sales or a revenue hire, that the business was, had an appetite for that. It was ready to go. Yeah. I made a big assumption there. I just let my excitement get ahead of me. And I never asked that question. I love that you dug into the product, the pain. I did a lot of that when I vetted some of the startups I was at as I tried to understand the marketplace, uh, tried to understand what the pain points were before I took the, the role, just so I could understand what the, the process was going to be. But that asking the question of like, you know, why are we ready to hire for sales right now? What What's the compelling event here? And then mm -hmm. I also like that you've, you know, you've thought ahead, like, okay, look, startups are going to change a lot, especially early on one year to another, it might be a completely different use case. There could be a totally different story. They could have completely pivoted the, the strategy of the business. How about me? You know, like, how is that going yeah, to impact yeah. me as the first revenue hire? Because if things change that much, how can you throw a, a number on a dartboard and say, that's going to be my quota. And how can you even predict what my on-target earnings are going to be when mm -hmm. this has never been done before in this environment with this product? So the fact that like you've thought through all that, I think everyone, you know, anyone who's out there looking at, at a, an opportunity where they could join in on an early stage company, even if you're not the first AE hire, if you're in the first 20 hires, yeah. those are all yeah. really appropriate questions to ask. Um, 
very relevant. And, you know, in retrospect, it makes me wish that I would have, I would have thought through some of that stuff a little bit better, live and learn. Uh, I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had. And I've learned a ton from, from, you know, falling on my face a handful of times. That's how I probably learned best, but I love that you mm -hmm. actually had a, a, you know, you had a real process there when you were evaluating and vetting these ops. And I think there's a lot to learn from that. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, I know like the reason I say like why now um, is because I know in some situations, like the board is saying, Hey, you need to drive revenue and you need mm -hmm. to hire someone and they might bring you on. And, and, you know, uh, when you have a product that's in alpha or in beta, that doesn't necessarily work. Um, and that can be, that kind of ties back to the resiliency of being that first sales rep is, if you are coming in and the products in beta, just be ready that you're going to have customers that, you know, things are going to probably be failing. And like, are they going to have your back when you're trying right. to reach a number? And the reason you can't close anything is because you sign people up on a trial and everything fails mm -hmm. for everyone. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, just getting an understanding of that, I think is, is really, really important. I think my other advice for anybody who's out there, maybe staring at an offer from a, from a brand new startup, again, whether they're the first revenue hire or the 10th or 20th even, is don't be afraid to ask hard questions. And that's something, this is feedback for myself and looking back at my past experience is I glossed over a lot of questions that I wanted to ask but just decided not to for some reason. And examples of those kind of questions are, you are totally allowed to ask uh, about your equity compensation in that stage yeah. of the business. Don't be coy about it. Don't be shy. You're allowed to know what the valuation of the business is and what the fair market value is currently of the equity that they're going to give you and how that compares to, you know, the outstanding shares in the company. You were totally entitled to that information. If you're going to join in uh, on a very early stage venture, you're putting up risk. A lot of times I think the mindset is, well, I'm just joining as an employee. I'm a sales rep. I'm not, I'm not investing in this business. So I'm not putting up any risk. You are putting up risk because you're putting yeah. up uh, some career risks, right? You're, you're, it's, there's an opportunity cost in joining an early stage startup because you could go to uh, SAP or Microsoft or Oracle or Salesforce and have a killer W2 every year in the time that you're now choosing to invest in, in an early stage startup. That's not so, you know, not, not so clear cut and dry in terms of what's possible. So yeah. don't be shy and don't be afraid is my advice to anyone listening. You know, yeah. Don't hesitate to ask the founders, the tough questions, talk about the cap tables, talk about the big hairy elephants in the room, which might be, you know, do we have product market fit? Cause I can't join a company that I don't think uh, is working very, you know, is close to getting to product market fit uh, to the point where I could come in and be, you know, uh, a scalable resource for the business, a force multiplier for the business. So don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Don't just let your excitement overtake you. And I think that's what I did a lot of was I just got yeah. so excited about the being such a critical part in the business that I overlooked a lot of the questions that you obviously asked, which I think is explains why you've found a lot more success in these early companies than I have. Um, but uh, yeah, being, you know, the first and only sales hire on the team, but uh, yeah, I think just asking those questions too, and not being afraid to really address those. Cause if you can't, if you can't confidently address those with the founders then it's probably not the right opportunity. And yeah, they that's a red back, flag. It is a red flag and they may need to go back to the drawing board and really think through uh, their revenue strategy. So awesome stuff, man. I really appreciate you sharing all that. 
I wanted to also ask you what's uh, what's kind of the favorite, what's your favorite sales play that you're running right now? How are you building pipeline for Gatsby? If you can share, you know, whatever you can share, and maybe you don't want to share too much. Of course, there's competitors out there and you don't want your uh, you know, best kept secrets being uh, exposed and have everybody jump on the, the train and start using your tactics. But anything you care to share as far as like plays that are working really well for you right now, whether that's prospecting, uh, you know, deal dynamic specifics, anything that you care to share that's working well uh, that the audience might benefit from. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'll, um, like to, before I dive into that, a little background on, so Gatsby itself, like I said, it's an open source framework. So it's a free framework that people can use to build websites and hundreds of thousands of people are using it. Um, but what that means is companies like Tyson foods and Procter and Gamble and Nike, um, Johnson Johnson are using Gatsby for those large sites and they're not paying Gatsby anything. Um, so I'm very fortunate in, in the fact that we have tons of companies that I can go after um, and say, hey, you're using our product for free. We have a cloud offering now. Um, and we also have some you know, professional services. Like what problems are you having today that, you know, that we can help solve and see if there's some sort of fit there. And that's really kind of part of being on the front lines and trying to find you know, features and things like that, that to put in our cloud solution that will help solve problems for people that are using Gatsby today. So, um, so one, you know, one thing that I'm really doing right now to generate pipeline is using, you know, finding the people that are using Gatsby and trying to, um, you know, really figure out the, like, so the way that Gatsby works is that handles the front end. And then typically there's like a content management solution that a company will use on their website as well. And we have tons right. of integration partners for that. So I've been working with a lot of our larger integration partners and um, kind of doing co-selling with mm -hmm. all of their account executives. Cool. Um, and it's, it's funny because I'm the only sales rep at Gatsby. Um, and the, you know, the content management system companies that we work with, they have, uh, you know, 30 Hundreds. plus. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a great, it's a great opportunity to me because they are all coming to me when they have an opportunity where they think Gatsby might be a good fit. Um, but it just, the, what that has really helped us kind of identify is now we have customers that let's say they're using a specific content management system and they're using Gatsby. Um, we have stories from that. So we're able to kind of, you know, I have companies that we've had success with that I can kind of go at a different, like the same industry, I guess. Um, once I understand what kind of CMS or what their tech architecture is, um, mm -hmm. I can do more outbound work and say, Hey, we work with your competitors and, um, you know, this, we understand this is the stack that you're currently using this is how we help solve those problems for, you know, for folks that are similar to you. So are you mostly selling to marketers or is it web developers, UX, UI, uh, you know, who, who are kind of the main personas for Gatsby? I'm just curious. And if, if anyone's listening yeah. out here, who's who falls into this category, I know our audience is mostly other AEs, but uh, you know, maybe some of them have want to want to improve their website to help their sales skills. Uh, I know I've been in that place, especially in some of the companies I've been at, but yeah, tell us about the, who the, like the main buyer persona is. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a mix. Um, so we'll speak with a lot of marketing folks, um, the, you know, people that are focused on like SEO and performance of the website. 
that's where, you know, their KPIs usually stem from is marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, they're supposed to improve that. So sometimes typically budget will, will lie in marketing sands. Um, but with a lot of these large organizations, they also have an engineering team that's part of marketing. Um, and those are the, the people that I'm speaking with on, you know, like tactical, um, yeah. helping them get onboarded and um, really trying to sell the value there. Um, so it's, it's definitely a mix. It's usually web developers, um, but then the final conversations after, you know, in the deal cycle usually end with meeting with marketing. That's, that's something I've observed also is in the, in the deal cycles that I do in, in my current company, we sell to ops and contact center leaders and customer experience leaders. All that said, even though that's our, our primary buyer persona and usually the, the, the business contact who's going to want to understand the ROI and the you know, operational impact of our product, I've found that incorporating engineers into my deal cycles as, a, as another mm -hmm. thread has been hugely impactful. It's something that I, I wasn't doing for a long time. I guess, you know, maybe I was a little bit intimidated by working with very technical software uh, or IT personas. And I've gained a little bit of confidence over the last couple of years in understanding what their day-to-day -day looks like and how they play into any software evaluation. So uh, I think it's interesting. And it, it, it makes perfect sense that you're not only working with marketers as kind of that main business persona and the main buyer, but you're also incorporating in uh, someone technical because anytime you're selling software, there's going to be implementation, there's going to be tuning needed, there's going to be adoption, you know, there's going to be required adoption on the technical side for ongoing use and to make the product sticky. So it, it makes perfect yeah. sense that you're, you're involving both of those different personas. And it can be a little bit of a challenge to figure out how to get each of those buying personas what they need. And I know I, I kind of dance that dance every single day, which is, okay, I got to make sure that I check all of the, the tech boxes. It has to do this, this, and that. It has to be able to integrate with uh, X, yeah. Y, and Z. And uh, you know, from a security standpoint and everything else, from a scalability and an uptime availability standpoint, it's all got to work well. And then in addition to that, I've got to be able to show what's in it for the main persona. In your case, it's marketers. In my case, it's these uh, you know CX and, and, and customer uh, service leaders. I've got to be able to show them the business impact, the operational impact. Mm -hmm. And so the better that one can get at that dance, I think the, the easier it gets to sell because if you can work all of those different angles uh, and get each party what they need, uh, and then they start to kind of collaborate together. They, the, the sales sort of takes off, the, the deal cycles takes off on its own. It gets its own legs. And then it's less about selling and more about just enabling, uh, you know, each side to, to make a thorough evaluation and select the right partner. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, Gatsby itself is a very technical product, but it's yeah. not a technical sale. Um, you know, where I'm speaking with engineers and everything, but the, I mean, like the one thing that I like doing on all of these calls is, one, just showing, like telling them, I, you know, I'm not the most technical person. My role here is to be a resource to you and make sure that if you need resources, I can get you the right people in the company and I can, you know, help you out there. Um, mm -hmm. But what I also, you know, what I really try to understand, what I tell them is like, hey, I'm, I'm a sales rep in the organization. I have certain KPIs that I need to hit. Um, so let's say I go to our founder and, you know, I want to use outreach to help me hit my number. Um, you know, what, what do you need to, like, what are you evaluated on in engineering? Like, what do you, what would make your life easier? What's going to help your workflow? Or, you know, so it's, I, I try to lay that out there and try to be as transparent as possible is just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I want to align the right solution for you. If I can't, 
we can't and we can part ways, but um, if there is a way to help you out, then, you know, we'd obviously yeah. love to help you do that. Yeah. I think taking that consultant approach and, and being, being real, being honest with prospects, you know, look, I'm not the most technical person on the call today. That's not mm-hmm. why I'm here, but I'm here to align those resources to make sure that if that's what you need to make this decision, that I'm, you know, playing the, the, the liaison between all that and getting you what you need. So I, I love that. I think that's, that's, it's, it's such a strange, you know, not, not strange. It's just such a, it's such a unique skill and it does take time. And, and like you said, it takes repetitions. You have to like go through a couple of yeah. deal cycles where you can confidently play that role. Uh, and then once you do it a couple of times, you're like, how did I ever, you know, what was I doing before trying to like manage everything or micromanage every part of the process? This is really, you know, the, the best reps are really the ones that are, are great at aligning resources, both internally and externally and yeah. ensuring that, you know, anyone who's part of an evaluation gets what they need. Definitely. Yeah. And there's no point in, uh, people will call you out, uh, especially engineers. If you yep. go into a call and you try acting like, you know, you know, everything. Um, so I think it helps to, to kind of just be as transparent as possible there. Yeah, I've, def- I've definitely been there. <laughs> um, question for you. How do you, you know, obviously it's super busy being in an early stage startup. You've got, you've probably got a lot of deal cycles going. You're probably in a lot of meetings. Uh, you've got a lot of accountability in the business. What are some tips and tricks for managing your calendar, managing your time? Uh, share a couple of insights with us. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, <clears throat> what the good thing about being or working with companies all over is that you have tons of leads and tons of opportunities. But uh, so we work with a lot of companies overseas and I'm on the East Coast. So the way that I typically yeah. schedule my day is um, so 10 a.m. to about noon is when I block off for my own personal time to deal with follow-ups, you know, Salesforce, uh, get contracts out the door. But anytime, you know, 8 a.m. to about 10 a.m., that's my time for meetings with companies that are overseas that are ahead of us. Um, And so, yeah, so 8 a.m., 10 a.m., block that out, schedule a lot of meetings there. Um, And then 10 to, to like noon is when I kind of, I call it my focus time where I'm able to Mm -hmm. just kind of really dive into, you know, if it, it it can change throughout the day. I know, you know, on Wednesdays is when I usually am testing out different email templates for, um, for people that are signing up or reaching out to us. Um, And then I also, you know, use that time for LinkedIn prospecting. Um, What's actually huge in our industry is Twitter as well. So I'm on Twitter a lot as well. Um, Lots of engineers are on Twitter, but Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and then so, you know, that that time I call my focus time and then um, the afternoon uh, we have, you know, a lot of our, the people that I work with are on the West Coast. Um, so I'll have, you know, some one-on-ones, some, you know, pipeline review meetings um, right. on the calendar as well. And then, and then towards the end of the day, that's when I have my meetings with people on the West Coast. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, it gets busy, but uh, you know, the most valuable time to me is that, that 10 to noon time to where yeah. I can really, I know I can sit down at that time again, we use Calendly too. Mm-hmm. So people are sometimes just picking time off my calendar and you don't really, you know, know when they're going to do it, but knowing that I have that time blocked off, um, you know, it's kind of a different, I'm not doing the same exact thing, um, during that time, every single day. Uh, sometimes it's prospecting, sometimes it's outbound work, sometimes it's, 
really just kind of catching up on Salesforce cleanup, um, an opportunity cleanup, getting ready for some pipeline meetings. Um, yeah. So it varies day to day, but yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that some people can do is just block off some time to, to really focus and kind of take a step back and, you know, do some A-B testing or, you know, get some of that outbound work in. Yeah. Are there any tools that you're using that are really increasing productivity for you? I mean, you mentioned like sales navigator. I know I spend a lot of my mm-hmm. time in sales nav. What other tools are you guys using that you've found to really be, you know, helpful for productivity? Yeah. So uh, sales nav is a big one. Um, one I actually use is uh, TweetDeck. So TweetDeck is really for marketers to kind right. of schedule out tweets and, and do things like that. But what I do is I um, have a hashtag on anything Gatsby. Um, huh. And so anytime, you know, we've had companies like uh, from Tinder or Ted, um, some of their engineers on Twitter saying, hey, this is what we're working on um, right now with Gatsby. And they'll do a hashtag Gatsby on there. And then I get to see all of that. And it's just a great opportunity to reach out. And it's a much more, um, it's a much more casual conversation, much better response rates I see um, from going through something like Twitter rather than something like LinkedIn, um, where the people that I'm speaking with might not even have a LinkedIn. Oh, I love that so much. That's such a creative way to get, I mean, cause you can just go through and, and dig into who's retweeting or who's liking tweets that have that hashtag and you can kind of build a prospecting list from, from that, I imagine. Uh, and you know, there's so much less noise going on on Twitter in terms of selling and business development and things like that. Whereas LinkedIn is starting to get pretty saturated. Of course, the email inbox and the phone are, are sort of saturated. <laughs> Although I'd still yeah. argue that both are, are still part of a, a, you know, a complete breakfast of activities, if you will. Um, but I love that. Yeah. I'm curious, one of the things that one of the startups I was at did that I really loved, and I, I, I would love to see that done again uh, in the company I'm in now. We're not quite as technical of a product here. We're, we're much more of a business product with some uh, you know, technical checkboxes. But one of the startups I was at, we had an open source product. It sounds very similar to Gatsby in some ways. It was an open source project geared really heavily towards engineers. And what the founders did is they built a Slack community and it was free. And if you were using the open source language, you could come in and join the Slack community. The founders were in there responding to questions, helping people uh, fix code and just getting really hands-on. And at that time I was the only sales rep. So I was also in that Slack community and I would, as soon as, you know, our founders spent some time helping somebody fix code or something like that, I'd wait a couple of days, of course, just to be tactful. And then I'd follow up and mm-hmm. say, Hey, you know, you jumped into our, our, uh, you know, private Slack. And it, you know, again, it wasn't so private. It was, it was totally free and, and open to join. Um, but, and then we would pull people over from our competitor Slack, which was fun too, but we had this whole yeah. Slack community and we could, we could use it as a way to engage engineers, uh, who are in there asking for help. And then we would sell our, our interface, which was our software. And then we had some managed services alongside it too. So it was a way to open up the door to like, Hey, look, you got a little sample of what we can do. Uh, how would you like, you know, how would you like to learn more about what our full offering looks like? It sounds like you guys are encountering some of the problems that we solve, uh, otherwise, why would you be in this Slack community? So I always thought that was a super creative way. Are you guys doing anything like that? Definitely. Yeah. Yep. So one of the great things about Gatsby is just like in with a lot of open source is the community. Um, you know, people are so active on the community and we have people always chatting. So we have like a discord channel where people are always oh, sending cool. questions. Um, 
and we have different, yeah, similar thing, different Slack channels. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to, to scope through and see who's chatting about, you know, chatting about what, and then slowly kind of use those as introductions. Um, the good thing about our team here too is, you know, everyone is so invested in the company. If they are talking with someone from, you know, a company that could be a sale um, or like an opportunity, they, they do a good job of trying to loop me in. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's in a lot of companies with Gatsby too, their um, large organizations are doing like a proof of concept before they ever even reach out. Um, yeah. so using those different channels is a really good way to kind of help me get in there and help our team get in there, um, as quickly as possible, just to, you know, help push them in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are really taking advantage of like just more, if you can call them like more organic channels or more authentic channels yeah. to, to your buyers versus just trying to smile and dial and, and get the right people mm -hmm. on the phone, which is, you know, again, possible and it does still work, but maybe not as, as intentional as, going where the eyeballs are that, that you're trying to sell to. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, the, the community, I, I like, that's how Gatsby grew is just kind of having being a very open and kind of honest community. Um, so we try to, we try to take that approach, um, which I think is a good approach for, for any type of, you know, SaaS startup of mm -hmm. just like, we're here to help you. Um, and yeah, it's, it seemed to work. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're about an hour. I have like maybe two questions left for you and then we can call it a day. I'm sure you're, you're super busy. You got tons of stuff going on. So we appreciate you setting aside time to, to come on the show. Sure. My last question is just, I think one that's more personal in nature and one I always like to close on because it's something I think about a lot myself. You're obviously super busy. There's probably a lot of pressure on you on a daily basis to succeed as you're you know building out a pipeline and responsible for, for driving revenue for Gatsby. What do you do to manage stress and, you know, break away and make sure that you stay, you know, mentally healthy, physically healthy? What kind of activities are you taking part in that, that sort of help manage that, that tension that might exist when, you know, we're all in a stressful role, even if you're not at a startup, yeah. even if you're in a bigger company, this can still be a really stressful line of work. So I'm always interested in hearing what people are doing to de-stress and how people are managing their mental and physical health. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I, so, um, I do always think about that just when I really yeah. sit back and think about like a sales role, you're like, man, wait, this is, this is a pretty stressful, you know, you have a number to hit. Um, and sometimes you think about like, you know, marketing, they obviously have KPIs or engineering, they have, you know, projects that they need to hit, but it's a little mm -hmm. different because it, it's tied back to revenue. So it can get, so I try not to think about that because that, that can bring some stress on, but um, you know, for me uh, like, I am really, I really enjoy working out. Um, so yeah. like, I like having that time in the morning to, to go work out and just kind of get away from it all. But uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of like my, my mental uh, preparation sort of is even when I'm working out, I'm still kind of thinking about, you know, calls I have later in the day and um, you know, things that I need to, to do, but it's just kind of a good way for me to take an hour to sit back and not just be digging into my computer um, and just kind of reset my mind. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, I mean, I'd love to uh, like what we do a really good job of at, at our company is investing in our mental health um, and trying to do fun things, even though that we're completely remote. Um, 
so doing things like having random coffee chats with, uh, you know, people on our team. We have people on our team in India and Belgium and all these different places. Um, yeah. And every time they, every time, like, I, you know, my calendar gets filled up and we call it, they're called donut calls. Um, and I'll have a random donut call with someone <laughs> I've never met in the company. And then every, every time I go into it, I'm like, oh man, I, you know, I have to go into another call right after this, but uh, it's a, it's so great going into those calls, talking with someone you've never met with, but you share the, you know, the same commonality. You work at the same company, even though you've never seen each other face to face. And um, just having conversations with, you know, people in different parts of the world and, you know, that have a totally different background, but also, you know, they do a totally different job than what you're doing. And it's cool to hear, you know, how they're affecting the company. Um, and it's, you know, it brings excitement too, because people are always really interested to see, you know, what customers are, are buying our product, um, and things like that. So that's, yeah. that's a huge stress reliever and just, it's really rewarding too. I love that. And that's, that's kind of what I've done, especially this year. Uh, I've needed that a lot more, which is just an outlet talking to other people in the company. I spend a lot of time touching base with my former colleagues that I've worked with in the past and just trying mm-hmm. to get on and, you know, talk or have a, have a, a zoom call or something with somebody that I can just connect with. And then I'm a, I'm a fitness guy myself. I do a lot of biking and uh, lift some weights and things like that. It's been harder this year. Cause I, I normally, you know, in previous years would go to a gym and just get out of the house for a second. And this year I, I haven't renewed a gym membership in a while. Uh, yeah. So I've got to do everything here at home. Um, but I think that's super important just to keep both the physical and mental side of things and just avoiding burnout is taking breaks. Yeah. Um, this year, I've been a lot more intentional about designating time to just get up from the desk and walk around and go and do something else for a while and come back to, to what I'm working on versus just sitting strapped to the desk for nine hours, 10 hours a day, making sure I get it done. There are certainly days like that, especially end of month, end of quarter, uh, end of calendar, end of fiscal years. But I've been trying to be more intentional about stepping away for a second and preserving yeah. my sanity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, and I'm religious about that too. I, you know, I, two walks a day, at least 20 minutes is like, yep. I need that. Um, I need that time just to one, stay moving, like you said. Um, but also just, yeah, get some sun, get, get out there. Um, and I, you know, I think people encourage that too. It's a take a one-on-one and take a walk. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually, I actually think better when I'm just like walking around and talking on the phone as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm religious about that. Same. Well, awesome, man. That's all my questions. The only thing I was going to ask if the final question would just be anything else you care to share with the, the SaaS sales players audience out there, any advice, feedback, uh, you know, words of wisdom, anything you'd like to share? I mean, kind of tying back to your last question too, is, uh, you know, things like this that you're doing with the podcast, it's, this really helps me Um, just knowing that there are other people out there in the same situations might be a different product, but um, you know, I I listen to a whole host of podcasts, but Mm -hmm. this one, you know, I love what you're doing here because so many people can benefit from this that are already being sales reps, but also people that are looking to come into SaaS. Um, it is a really rewarding career and job. Um, so I would just, you know, encourage, yeah, encourage your listeners to keep soaking in all this information. You're bringing on some awesome people and it's, uh, I really appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, it's fun. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I look back and when I was in college, like SAS enterprise account executive just wasn't even 
like it wasn't even advertised to me as an option. I had no idea what that mm-hmm. was back when I was in school. And I, I wish I would have known, but I'm glad, and I'm glad I stumbled into the industry because it is such a fun career path and it's yeah. a great lifestyle and it's a great income. Uh, you meet some fantastically talented people and you get to solve problems for big companies every day, which is fun. And you get to mm-hmm. tinker around with the, the, you know, best and newest technologies out there. And there's really some, some stellar people in the space. And so the podcast, like I was telling you offline that, I had wanted to start a podcast for a long time. I didn't necessarily think I was going to start a sales podcast because I felt like there was already so much out there. But then I was having some different conversations with friends and relatives and peers. And they were like, there's nobody out there just talking to the real stars of the show, the guys and gals that are out there doing the job every single day. There's so many manager podcasts, which are fantastic and have a lot of really good advice uh, and actionable insight, but there's not really, uh, you know, anyone out there just interviewing the, the frontline reps that are getting it done every single day. And a lot of that might be because there's a lot of reps out there that don't necessarily want to share their process, uh, cause yeah. they've found something that works. And as soon as it gets broadcast then you know, other SDRs and, and AEs are going <laughs> to jump on it and start using it and it might get overused. But I feel like, you know, I just, I got to a point where I was like, I think I need to give back to this, this space that's been so good to me and uh, has been such a fun and, and fantastic career path. Uh, I ought to give back to, to the people that are, you know, a few years behind me. Uh, Cause I would have just eaten up something like this back, uh, you know, a few years ago. I still, I still do eat up a lot of podcasts and I'm, I'm probably one of the, it sounds like you and I are kindred spirits there. We were both really heavy consumers of business and sales podcasts. So uh, yeah, super exciting, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that you came on the show today and, uh, looking forward to, to pushing this one out live. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, thanks again for, for doing this and for having me on. It was awesome. All right.